Vegas takes over. Smith comes out to the neutral zone. Deals right. Marshall fires. He scores! Live from the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Smith to Marshall. Four to two Golden Knights. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. Alice McCormick Chapman inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215, home of the... It's always an adventure. Every time we do these shows, we are lucky again to have Brian McCormick, the voice of the Henderson Silver Knights, joining us. This is your last day this week with us. Now, I'm hopeful that as we kind of progress throughout the remainder of the month, we'll get you in for another show or two. But it has been very, very fun. And, you know, I've enjoyed our time together. Let's make it another two solid hours. What do you say, Brian? I'm in. Uh, yeah, I, I've been having a blast uh, during these last couple of days. Uh, I always <laughs> used to say to myself, how does Darren Millard basically do f- 15 hours of airtime every single day throughout the season? Well, now I know why. It's just so much fun. So uh, let's keep rocking it till 6. All right. So I feel like we should open up the phone line. 702-876-1340 is the number here. If you'd like to join us on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Asking your questions of Brian, of me, hell, you could even ask Chris Chapman a question, but hey, if you do, that's at your own peril. That is totally your call if you want to go down that road. But we want to hear from you. What do you want to see the Golden Knights do this offseason? What are some of the pressing issues you think there are with the Golden Knights in terms of what they've got to address going into next year? Or if you have something completely off the board, you don't want to ask us a hockey question at all. You just want to talk to us. Now is your time, 702-876-1340. It's your chance this week to ask a question of Brian McCormick. And before we get into the phone lines, we'll let callers get themselves in queue. I have a question for you, Brian, because this is something that I've always been intrigued by. I've never asked Dan Duva this question, but I am going to ask it of you. How does it feel to be the voice of something? Like, you are you're the voice of the Henderson Silver Knights. How does that feel to say I'm Brian McCormick, the voice of the Henderson Silver Knights? Well, when I introduce myself to strangers that way, it feels arrogant. Uh, it's <laughs> no, it's it's the best job. It really is the best job in the world. It's so much fun because I always, I've always said that you know I have the benefit of doing for work what most people would pay to do. Most people would pay their money to go to a game. I get money to, to go to the game and talk to myself. Uh, or, you know, if the uh, occasions where I have somebody with me, like uh, we had Mike McKenna this past season, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to just have hockey talk on the fly. Um, but, you know, I'm just so constantly immersed in the Henderson Silver Knights, it's it's what I do every single day, and then I get to go and talk about it. Everyone says like, "Oh, is that hard? Is it hard? You know, how do you know what to say?" Like, basically, it's just my inner monologue after you know eight to ten hours of being immersed in the team and the personalities and the coaching staff all day long. So, um, it, it's so much fun 
to be around hockey all the time. It's so much fun to have an opportunity to uh, – to, to in some small way be a part of the game. You know, when people look back on highlights and their favorite memories, usually there's a soundtrack that goes along with that, and, and it's likely going to be my voice, at least for the first year, uh, you know, when, when these memories are being made. So, um, you know, th- that's special. That's fun. That gives me a tremendous opportunity to, to meet fans and, and to, to know what's on their minds with shows like we're doing right now. Uh, you know, I, I just like to think I get to be the conduit between both sides, the fan base uh, and the team, and uh, they have all their fun vicariously through me. So uh, it's a blast. Responsibility, too, because if I do something stupid, then Darren Millard's not going to let me forget it. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to become one of these like sound bites that Chap- uh, Chapman just drops in in the middle of shows. It'll never die. So I try my best not to say anything too stupid when it's being recorded. Do you think uh, so far so good? played the dragon, and now it's just a matter of uh, of – Cooking up some some supper. You don't know who stick your grits. That's that's a beautiful, beautiful (laughs) drop in there, Chapman. Like Brian's got this great answer, and you end it that way. Well done. This is a perfect example. I don't know if I've done a good job (laughs) because I think I've done a good job because I haven't said anything stupid enough that Chapman's like got him, but I haven't said anything interesting enough that Chapman's like gotta save that. So I'm kind of just I'm I'm hovering in the middle here. So. I need to either be more daring or more stupid in this next season. That's going to be my goal. Such a great honor. Oh no, <laughs> I, I I think I think you're kind of right in that in that wheelhouse that you need to be. I, I think you're good as you get uh, as you progress a little bit more here. Uh, Chapman will find something to clip of you, and it probably won't be that bad. And he'll probably use it in a terrible context. So <laughs> you know you have that look to look forward to. I guess I, I don't know, man. Um, here, let's go I? out to the phone line. 702-876-1340 is the number if you'd like to join us. Everything is on the table. Nothing really off topic here. Talk VGK. Talk just about uh, you know me and Brian and how we kind of approach shows throughout the the off season. Nickelodeon cartoon characters. Thir- Nickelodeon cartoon characters. Seven zero two eight seven six thirteen forty. Let's head out to the phone lines. Bring in Bob. Bob, how you doing? I'm doing real well. I was originally a uh, season ticket holder. I was on the blue line about five, six rows up, and I had four seats. But uh, I'm a little older now. I can't afford too much of what's going on. But I, I do want to put my two cents in. I saw the article in the paper today critiquing all the players. Uh, I'm of the volition that you can't spend $12 million on two goldies and still try to build a young, talented pool. And uh, I think Fleury was, was, is, the, is the one that needs to stay because we can get more for Leonard if we trade him. And uh, I'd rather uh, keep somebody like Smith rather than uh, two goldies and $12 million. You know, Bob, that's an interesting question, and thank you for the call. Just in terms of what the Golden Knights may do this offseason, there's a ton of, of different ideas or, or thoughts as to what they can do. And for a team that was up against the cap so much so last year that there were multiple games throughout the season where the Golden Knights had to dress a roster with less players than what is intended to play in the NHL because they just couldn't be cap compliant any other way on those game days. It it kind of 
begs the question, do the Golden Knights want more wiggle room in terms of their cap throughout the the next season? And I think the answer to that is yes. Now, obviously, you want to you want to operate from a position of strength. And I, I don't think it's hard to look at the Golden Knights, what they have in goal, and, and say that's not a position of strength. It absolutely is. But the question is, what do you do with the goalies? And And, you know, I asked fans yesterday via a poll what do you think the golden knights are going to do do you think they'll trade a goalie this offseason and that poll was as closely split of any poll i've ever done on twitter 51 percent said yes 49 percent said no i think it's kind of a, a coin toss right now as to whether or not vegas will move a goalie in the offseason to free up some cap space what do you think brian you know, Ryan, I, th- I think what's what's unique is, is as Bob mentioned, and it's a fair point. You've got $12 million locked up in goaltenders. It's a lot of money to have wrapped up in goaltenders, and it's a situation that, that it's, it's hard to think of another example of the NHL of anyone who's in that neighborhood of having two true number ones who they're also kind of paying like number ones. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it can go either way. If they decide to, to make a move and free up some cap space, of course there's areas of the roster you want to attack with that cap space. But you're trying to augment the power play for next year. Everyone want, you know, the, the, the VGK make moves in the offseason. That's a thing. It's not like they're usually shy about it. Um, so cap space <laughs> is valuable if you can get it. But maybe let's not too eagerly, too eagerly move beyond this champagne problem of the VGK having two goaltenders who can have a number one role on any team right now. So for for Bob's sake, let's look at either one. He said he'd rather, if I remember correctly, I think he said he'd rather keep Flurry because he thinks if you dealt Leonard, you get more for it. Okay, in that case, you're keeping the heavier cap hit for someone who's going to be an unrestricted free agent next year and who is already 36 years old. If you go the other way, you're moving on from a 36-year-old with a heavier cap hit. That might be hard to move. You know, there's pros and cons with both. Um, I think Flurry's right. age is probably the factor that would concern most people. But what I would ask here is, if you look at the VGK this year, Ryan, goal mm-hmm. scoring was an issue against Montreal, but it wasn't an issue against Colorado. It wasn't an overwhelming issue for large swings of the season. It's it's not uh, something that has to be urgently addressed if you can add to it great but it wasn't a team that couldn't score goals the blue line is strong the Yanmark deadline deal was exactly the kind of player that they needed to add my point being is you had 12 million dollars locked up in goaltending but what did it really stop you from doing there is no you know that's gaping hole anywhere that fair... you wish you could have addressed and the goaltender stopped you from doing it. So is it really bad, especially with Marc-Andre Fleury at his age, you don't want him carrying too heavy of a workload. Is it the, it's an expensive way to handle your that part of your roster, but it's not stopping you from doing anything else. And if you did make a move, I'd be interested to hear from Bob and from others. Well, who do you want to bring in as the backup who's on the market out there, there are good options, but who do you want to bring in? Because you're probably going to have to bring in somebody, and is that someone who you trust having a longer, a larger workload than Robin Leonard had this year and who you feel just as confident in having to perhaps go to in the middle of a playoff series because we saw that the VGK did go to Robin Leonard at the end of the Montreal series. You have to bring in someone legitimate who can, ha- can carry that workload. Is it worth the three or four million that we're talking about in cap space that you'd be applying somewhere else? You know, it's interesting because I, I think the the overwhelming 
answer to that that other question of of what are you going to bring in, who are you going to bring in. I think right now, just in terms of where the fans are, based on what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, is that you move one of the goalies off the roster and you bring in Logan Thompson because he had such a great year in the AHL. And the only caveat I'll throw on that is, yes, Logan Thompson had a fantastic year in the AHL, but this is a goaltender that has not played in the NHL yet. And are you comfortable going into an 82-game season with one of Marc-Andre Fleury or Robin Leonard, understanding how important rest is, understanding how you've got to manage minutes throughout a grueling, grueling season, are you comfortable with a 25-35 a to 35 game workload for a guy that has not played in the NHL yet? That's exactly right, because he hasn't played in the NHL yet. He was an ECHL regular the year before this past season. So, and again, they're going to evaluate the talent the way they evaluate it. If they love him that much and wanted to give him that kind of a, a role, then, then that's their prerogative. But you think mm-hmm. in more more likely, especially if it was going to be Flurry who who stayed in, in Vegas, he's not going to be able to play 75 games. Whoever you're going to have backing him up right. needs to be able to handle a substantial workload. So are you comfortable taking a guy in Logan Thompson who's never played uh, a full 20 minutes in the NHL before and assigning 25 to 30 starts to him? You know, you, you might be, but but it's, it's it's dangerous to presume that from us on the outside looking in when we're talking about two guys who you have under contract who seemed to get along very well, had great attitudes towards what their roles were. At the end of the year, we were still having a pretty good debate of, hey, who do you take into the playoffs, Flurry or Leonard? It's, it's easy to, to forget that at the end of the regular season, both of them were still pretty viable options, except for the fact that Leonard had some injury issues this season. So, you know, yeah. it's if it was really holding you back from doing something else or re-signing somebody that you really wanted to re-sign and bring back, that would be one thing. And, of course, again, the Golden Knights were, were up against the cap for all season. They'd like some breathing room there, no question. But you're going to get some with a couple of the UFAs who are leaving. You'd love to have Alec Martinez back for the right number. Absolutely you would. But if he wasn't, that would open up more opportunities for a young defenseman too. It just, to me, if it, it is certainly an area on the roster that provides an opportunity for financial wiggle room if they made a change. Having said that, you had the best goals against average in the game, and it didn't stop you from your other, you know, from the D or from the offense. Uh, in terms of, of feeling a roster. So don't be so eager to break something that currently, aside from the numbers being a little bit uncomfortable to maneuver, isn't broken. A lot of teams would like to have the, the goaltending security that VGK enjoyed. Brian McCormick, Ryan Wallace, Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. We are answering your questions. 702-876-1340 is the number if you'd like to get some questions into us right here today. Let's head back out to the phone lines. Bring in Jeff. Jeff, how you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for taking my call, guys. I appreciate it. Big fan. Absolutely. Good to have you, Jeff. Hey, so I'm a newer uh, Knights fan. I've only been following hockey for the last year or two. I did watch the playoffs this year and see that they struggled on the power play, and I hear there's a lot of rumors regarding how they're going to get rid of salary and if they should move one of the goaltenders. So I guess my question for you guys is um, I hear that there is a, a good young center uh, on the Sabres who may be available, uh, and what do you guys think about this trade and uh, if it would make a whole lot of sense for tonight? Um, what it, do you think the Sabres would take a patch ready? Uh, and a younger player such as Cody Glass, since he's a center uh, for to their team, to the Sabres, 
bring in uh, that center. I believe his name's Eichel, Jack Eichel. Yeah. Move up mm-hmm. Alex Tuck, uh, give him a bigger role on the team, and have him play opposite of uh, Mark Stone. And then you have that center depth with Chandler Stevenson, William Carlson, and uh, Eichel on the team. Do you feel like that would make a whole lot of sense, and could it work? You know, that's a, a really interesting question, Jeff, and uh, we're, we're going to definitely try to dig into this a little bit. So in, in terms of Eichel and in terms of that particular trade proposal of Max Pacioretty and Cody Glass, I, I think that if you're the Buffalo Sabres, and I'm going to take this from Buffalo's perspective right now, this is a team that's going to be rebuilding. If you are moving on from Jack Eichel, if you are making that break as the, as the Buffalo Sabres, what you're looking for in return is going to be prospects or young players that can move the needle when you eventually become good, when you get through this rebuild and they can be a part of that. Like, in terms of Max Pacioretty, he's a great player, but right now is he going to help Buffalo uh, when they're good, when that window kind of opens up for them? I don't think so. I, I would look for younger players on the Golden Knights roster. Cody Glass, I think, is a good one to kind of highlight, though, again, that's a player that I think really needs to get a legitimate chance to to make an impact next season for the Golden Knights because you're talking about center depth. Now, all that being said, from Buffalo's perspective, the the trade that you you have, I don't think makes sense. I don't think that that's one the Buffalo Sabres go after. But to your your bigger question of is Jack Eichel worth it, or is that like a trade that you think the Golden Knights should pursue? There isn't going to be a better center option on the market right now. And if you believe that the Golden Knights need a top flight, first line, elite center, then Jack Eichel is the name that makes the most sense. How much do you have to give up? How much of the of the future are you mortgaging for this? And how healthy is Jack going to be next season? Those are all huge monumental questions that you have to answer. I'm always for chaos. I'm always for making a big <laughs> splash. In this situation, though, my personal belief is that I don't think the Golden Knights need to go out and do something crazy. I don't think they need to do something big. I don't think they need to make a big splash. I think balance in the lineup is really what I'd be after in this offseason. And, you know, Jeff, I appreciate when you when you put this together, some of the thought, I think you were attacking from both sides. It's, all right, they're going to want prospects, and we're going uh, VGK is going to need to move some salary as well to, to make it work. So, you know, Max Pacioretty, who's 32, making seven a year, that, that's a, you know, a little bit of space being cleared. I, I think, Jeff, it, it would take more than that, certainly. Mm-hmm. It, like, in, in pieces, it would probably take multiple prospects, multiple picks, uh, and Buffalo also, again, even though they're in rebuild mode, they're also talking about Sam Reinhardt possibly going out the door as well. Like They, they also need roster players to play right now. Um, so one of the things that I think would be tough is you want to make sure that you're not filling the uh, filling one hole with dirt that you took from digging another hole. So for if I'm Buffalo, and as you mentioned, Ryan, like it's a rebuild, there's prospects you want, but with position in mind too, you're probably going to want a center back. So, you know, yeah. are, are you losing a, a guy like, like Chandler Stevenson in a, in a deal like that? And, and, again, understanding that it would be the prospect picks that would probably be the more uh, impactful names of, of who's going out the door of, of, you know, maybe we're talking Peyton Krebs. You, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of move for the VGK, like, hey, I think we're one piece away from a cup and Eichel is it. 
they can have that conversation, absolutely. But it's going to hurt, probably, in terms of the, some of the, the names that you're excited <laughs> to see in, in silver and gold uh, going, the other, going the other way. Uh, and they're going to also have to move some substantial salary to make it work. So I think it would take some creativity. Um, Jack Eichel, uh, who's at full health, is absolutely worth having and is absolutely a game changer, absolutely a power play changer and changes the team down the middle. But are you creating more holes by making the deal? And and just for the sake of one example that just comes to mind of, of – and, Ryan, you tell me if I'm wrong, why, why I think it might be similar. Mm-hmm. Look at the Rangers 10 years ago, s- seven years ago, what have you. When they made the yeah. Rick Nash trade – on the wing, but nonetheless, they made the Rick Nash trade because they're like, all right, this is this is the, this is it. This is the piece that we need. And Rick Nash had a good career in New York, but it wasn't enough. And in doing that, they had to disassemble, sending out uh, who was uh, Dubinsky and uh, Nisimov at that stage of their careers. They went the other way, and it kind of created a little bit of a hole down the middle where the Rangers were great on the wings, but they didn't have a lot of center depth anymore. So the point is. For a team in in VGK that proved the last all four years, they're close. They're right there, and they've got good wing depth. Yes, you want to add a centerman? Absolutely. What's it going to cost you? And if it's mostly picks and prospects, you're going to have to move somebody to make some some uh, cap room. You know, and look at the back end. Does that mean is, is Shea Theodore somebody you have to move to get to get that kind of cap room? I'm just throwing out names. The point is, you yeah. don't have a ton of flexibility to add. A, you know, an eight-figure salary, um, and are you going to create more harm than good by adding a player like Jack Eichel? How, no matter how good he is, if they can do it creatively, who doesn't want Jack Eichel? But it, it's going to be creative. No, and I think that that's kind of the the main point here is that when when you're looking at a a trade like this, which is a blockbuster because of the player involved in Jack Eichel there are going to be holes that you're creating in your lineup. It's just it's just a product of doing business in today's NHL. And for me, like when I look at the Golden Knights, I I think that that one of the things Jeff highlighted in his call and it's interesting is the idea of moving Alex Tuck up, right? Mm-hmm. Getting Alex Tuck into the top 6. I do think that even with the players that are here right now for the Golden Knights, I think you can still find a way to ring out even more offense by maybe reassigning or or looking at kind of reconfiguring the lines a little bit and and maybe reimagining what your fourth line can be and who is on your fourth line and how you can maybe turn that line into a line that that is a threat to score every now right. and again. For me, I don't think it's a major, major upgrade that's needed here for the Golden Knights. This is a team that has been deep in the playoffs many, many times here in their in their short history. What I think they need is to find the right balance and find the right roles for each individual player and try to maximize that come playoffs next year. And and just again to revisit Jeff's proposal, Max Pacioretty has a modified uh, no-trade clause. William Carlson has a modified no-trade clause. Jonathan Marcheseau has a modified no-trade clause. Uh, so, so you know, the players that you would that that he brought up, even players that Buffalo would maybe maybe want that have big salary numbers. It's it's 
unlikely to be a fit there either. And, and again, I wouldn't want to move Max Pacioretty anyway with the numbers he's put up. You need that scoring on the wings. <laughs> there, there's nobody you want to part with that, uh, even though you bring in Jack Eichel, doesn't substantially dismantle what you've already built. And that's, I think, what the, what the, the challenge would be. To bring Jack Eichel in, if you can make it work, amazing. You, again, who wouldn't want Jack Eichel? But that's the whole point of a salary cap era that we're in. Is that supposed to be hard to make moves like that? And for a team that's right there and has been for a few seasons that you like so much of, of what they are, you know, are you dismantling the lower two-thirds of your roster to fit in a new piece at the top? It might it might do a little bit more upheaval than good. Uh, again, unless, and we've seen them do it before, you know, if Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee could pull off a, a deal that's really creative and, and you know, is mostly picks and assets and somehow moves salary around. I mean, you know, they're always looking for ways to improve the team. But uh, it's a pretty good roster right now as is. And like you said, Ryan, I'd be interested to see the improvement uh, and application of, you know, what can Alex Tuck be in this next season? I thought Nick Waugh had an unbelievable playoff. I thought he was a really solid player. Does he have a maturation where he can bring more in an augmented role? Those are things I'm curious to see. Yeah, and and I'm interested too. Like in terms of of Keegan Colasar, another uh, he's got a year under his belt. He's got some confidence playing in the league, and that was a player all year long that just seemed to be in the middle of a lot of really good scoring chances. Mm. Does he kind of put things together in the off season and and turn those 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 opportunities that he had last year that didn't that didn't end up in goals into goals? Can Keegan Colasar chip in? 10 goals a year. That That's something to keep an eye on, too. There's always yeah. something to be said about players getting better. Let's head back out to the phone lines, bring in Bill. Bill, how you doing? How's uh, it going? All right. Uh, just wanted to say that I think uh, why change something? I think the, the Knights have enough in their you know organization. You don't need to bring in anyone else. Like, like I think it was last week you guys were talking about Carlson being on the third line and, and uh, with Riley Smith and Yanmark, I mean, those would be a perfect group, you know, just tweak it. Don't, don't, don't implode it or don't even trade major pieces. Yeah. you know what, Bill, I, I, I think that that's, as I'm, I'm sitting with what I feel like the golden Knights should do. And thank you for the call. When I'm thinking about this offseason, I'm thinking that this is the offseason where you don't go out and try to make a big splash, where you just look at your lineup and say, is there a way to configure this to get more out of it? And, you know, we, we did an exercise last week, Brian, where we were reconfiguring the lines. We had to make one change to every single line, and we had to use players that were currently under contract or we could re-sign, say, a Matias Yanmark. Mm-hmm. And the way that I went about it is I looked at how can I create a really good shutdown third line that's difficult to play against, and then how can I get a little bit more scoring out of my fourth line? And that's how I chose to look at it. And, and I think that that's kind of the way that I think the Golden Knights get better in this offseason going into next season without having to do anything crazy in the offseason. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I th- Bill is, is singing our tune a little bit here. Again, if you, if you can yeah. make it work to bring in a, uh, a league-wide superstar, like no one's ever not open to that kind of a conversation, but sometimes the harder you work to make dramatic changes, the more trouble you cause for yourself if the deal isn't perfect. And where that comes in, too, is this Jack Eichel situation whoever gets him is going to be the winner of a bidding war. 
This is not going to be one of those things where you give Buffalo a deal and they say, well, this makes good sense. This seems like a well-balanced deal. Let's do it. No, they're going to have a lot of teams giving them their very best deal. Uh, and, and for that reason, I mean, put it this way, Buffalo's in the driver's seat to get an unbelievable return because they do need this to – not that they're in the middle of a rebuild. This needs to jumpstart the rebuild. This needs to buy them a couple of years of the rebuild back. So they're not you know, they're going to take a huge haul for this if, if, if they end up doing it. So, you know, when you're working yourself through those kinds of conversations and you feel like your roster is right there and maybe you're one piece away or maybe you have the roster and you were one bounce away from going your way because we talk about the, the NHL playoffs, there are a lot of good teams that don't win and it's because the puck went off the wrong shin guard. You know, like that, that happens. Or you just got cold at the wrong time and I think we can say for the Montreal series, Vegas' scoring, which is prolific against Colorado, just went cold at the wrong, at the wrong time. Um, if changes are there and they're reasonable and they don't blow up your roster, you you consider them. But like Bill was saying, there's a lot of clay here, and this is a team that a lot of people know was right there in the cup conversation at the end. You know, might be, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it is, is a pretty good motto to live by, and there's tweaks that can be made uh, that have this team right back in the same position they were in you know, a month ago, and that's that's something that I don't think can be overlooked. Yeah, it's you know it, it's a, an interesting discussion, and I, I wasn't you know sure where we were going to go when we opened up the lines, but I think the the biggest storyline surrounding the Golden Knights, and it's going to be this way because you've got the goaltenders. It's it's goaltending, right? It's it's whether or not you can open up cap space by moving a goalie, and whether or not you think the Golden Knights need to upgrade at 1C and bring in, make a big splash in Jack Eichel. So I'm not necessarily surprised this is the direction that we went in terms of this segment, but you know, I, I am glad that we had the discussion because I, as, as I'm sitting with this team right now, and we're going to talk to Justin Emerson at the beginning of our number two to get kind of his sense on what he thinks the Golden Knights are going to do in the offseason. I'm trying to wrap my head around it, and what I feel like is needed the more I sit with this team, the more I sit with what happened to to end their playoff run this year against the Montreal Canadiens, I don't think it's major. I think it's minor tweaks here and there that can really be what put the Golden Knights over the top. And I think we also need to remind ourselves, too, and we've been doing it for three days now, it's fun, but whenever you play armchair GM, you sit back and look at the numbers like, oh, I don't know how they're going to do that. When was the last time a player of that stature got traded and the team and the player, the team that acquired him, you looked at it like, oh, well, that made sense. They had the most cap space. There he goes. No, teams make deals all the time that are up against the cap. And we're like, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they do. And you know, Nikita Kucherov goes on long-term injury reserve and suddenly it works. Uh, the point being is, as, as much as we want to try to rationalize it, if a team wants a player and they're willing to put up the, the prospects package to do it, they're going to do it. Uh, I agree, like you said, that they don't – I don't think they need Jack Eichel to, to be all that they can be. Having said that, if Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee feel differently, dropping Jack Eichel into your power play, nobody <laughs> – Nobody's going to complain. <laughs> Those are the things where fans are like, I don't know if we should do it. And then if it happens, five minutes later, they're like, yeah, the price wasn't so bad. So <laughs> what will happen will happen. <laughs> but uh, I think there are teams that are more desperately in need of Jack Eichel than the Vegas Golden Knights are. If they, if they want to do that and decide to do that, nobody's going to complain. I don't think they're a team that needs to do it to find themselves within a few wins of a, of a cup uh, series a year from now. The voice of the Henderson Silver Knights, Brian McCormick, 
I think, says it. Puts a bow on this segment. When we come back, who is the team of the century? We'll answer that question plus a lot more on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. I really think Magnum yeah, is just watching cartoons while he's while he's running the board for the show. That that tracks. Um, it's very much on brand for Chris Chapman. It is not Nickelodeon. It is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Of course, this harkens back to yesterday and my admiration for Tommy Pickles. But the question I have today is when is when is it too early in a century to start thinking about which team is the team of the century? Like, and and I <laughs> I ask that mark. because yeah, like we're here we are twenty one years into the century. And now, listen, I am very much grateful for this tweet from NHL Network because it gives us uh, a segment here to have a little bit of fun. But I just wonder, at in 2020, if we've really gone far enough to make an, an honest proclamation that this team is the team of the century. So here's the tweet from NHL Network, which should be dubbed the team of the century. And they took a look at all the teams since 2000 that have won two or more Stanley Cups. Tampa Bay, obviously, they just won their third Stanley Cup. The Pittsburgh Penguins, they've got three. Chicago has three. L.A., two. Detroit, two. New Jersey, two. So there you have it, Brian. Those are your options. Those six teams, which are the team of the century? Uh, I, I think we, we got to scrap New Jersey right off the top. They're not. They're not on it. Um, <laughs> I, I think. Hold on. If we want to round up and do teams of the '90s plus three or something, then then they're absolutely in that. Uh, they, I mean, it's all arbitrary. We can do whatever we want here. <laughs> so just so we're, we're talking about organizations holistically, right? I'm not talking about the yes. the '07 uh, Lightning in particular or anything like that. No, like I, it, the way that I look at it, the way that I read the tweet is it's it's more about the organization. Which organization has had great success, has been able to consistently put a good team out there, and and I guess consistency breeds multiple Stanley Cups because that's that's kind of the the argument and the benchmark that they're utilizing in this tweet. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, okay, so so let's let's go through that then. If we're, let, let, let's, would you like to go team at a time? Does that sound fun? Yeah, let's do a team at a time. Okay, so, okay. I'm Devils gonna, are out. We have to talk about the... it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I, I was gonna go there, but that's totally fine. You won't make uh, you'll make Chris Chapman really upset. So the Detroit Red Wings, they've got I mean, a Stanley Cup in two thousand, two thousand two and two thousand eight. The Detroit Red Wings. Um, listen, they were a team that coming into this century was was kind of at that back end. You've got multiple Hall of Famers. You've got guys still trying to still still able to play at a high level. Nick Lidstrom, Henrik Zetterberg, Pavel Datsuk, but 
the the Red Wings have been very, very mediocre and pedestrian since the end of that era, since the end of their playoff streak. So for me, a team that has really struggled in the back portion of the 20% mark of the century simply cannot be the team of the century. Uh, I would put Detroit very much in the same category as the uh... – the Devils, 90s, yes, and then a sprinkling in the 2000s. Again, there's two cups in there. I'm not I mean to make light of that. Uh, a couple of uh, – they, they won two cups, lost in the finals, and, and made another conference final. But, yeah, we're talking about a team that's been out of the playoffs and, frankly, a, a last-place team for a quarter of the time window we're talking about. I think that knocks you off. Okay, the L.A. Kings – the 2012 and 2014 Stanley Cup champions, two cups in three years, sprinkled in the middle of those two championships, a Western Conference final lost in 2013 to the eventual cup winner, Chicago Blackhawks. So it's realistic to say that L.A. for three consecutive years were one of the best teams in the league, very much a, a, a team that had all the components um, – but again, it's three years, really, three years where the Kings were at the top of the, of the pile, the top of the heap, and then they've been mediocre and pedestrian ever since. As much as it pains me, the <laughs> L.A. Kings are not the team of the century. No, and you know what's so interesting is there's two sides of the coin of this, right? There's the, the, the statistical argument that we want to make, and then there's also definitely like a marketing va-va-voom behind this that makes uh, part of the <laughs> argument, too. You know, it's it's kind of like our if if we want to have a what's the best team of all time the Chicago Bulls of Michael Jordan or the uh, the, the Larry Bird Celtics you know insert team here whatever it is like if we mm-hmm. want to just have a statistical argument it's over in two minutes but then we're talking about cultural impact and uh, changing the way the game was played and all that jazz you know which which has its place the reason I say that is I thought of this conversation my my mind immediately went to Blackhawks Penguins and Kings. And when you actually step back and look at that 20-year window, since 2000, the Kings have missed the playoffs 11 times. <laughs> 11 times in 20 years yeah. they've missed the yeah. playoffs. And when they haven't missed, they've gotten knocked out in the first round six times. And the point is, what an impactful three years from 2012 to 14, Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. conference final loss to the uh, yeah conference final loss in 13, and Stanley Cup in 14 again. Man, did they really put on a show for those three years with star power, uh, acquired stars, rising stars, redemption arc stories of of Mike Richards and Jeff Carter finally getting their cup. Mm-hmm. You know, boy, did we put yeah. a lot of cultural oomph behind those three years to cloud out what was very ordinary in the 17 years around it. You couldn't have said it better, really, because those three years uh, essentially made up for everything that came before it and everything that's going to come after it. Because the Kings in 2012 were were an eight-seed juggernaut, and then in 2014 erasing a three-games-to-none deficit to the San Jose Sharks finally playing against the Anaheim Ducks in a grueling seven-game series in the playoffs, winning that one, and then going on to have one of the classic, classic Western Conference Finals between 
the Kings and the Chicago Blackhawks. That was some of the best hockey I've, I've seen, and it was so great that L.A. was relevant in that stage, but haven't done anything since and, and really, in good conscience, can't go there. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks, Stanley Cup in 2010, 2013, 2015, and Chicago's interesting too because that's that's another team that you look at that window, you look at that run that they had, and you say, oh my goodness, when they were in the Stanley Cup playoffs, they were in the final or very, very deep. You cannot take anything away from the, the 2010 to 2015 Stan, uh, Chicago Blackhawks, but in, in terms of the entire 21 years that we're looking at, this was a team that missed the playoffs very, very often, too. So I have a hard time saying Chicago is that team. I really do. You know, it's it's where I want to go with this, though. It is, and we, we've got two more teams to cover mm. where I can talk myself out of it. It's where I instinctively okay. want to go, and it's partially because I feel like, and the Penguins are probably the other side of this, but Chicago feels the most like the 90s dynasty teams that we loved. Dynasty is not the right word, but you know, you knew every year it was going to be Colorado yeah. and, and Detroit beating the heck out of each other. On the other side, the Flyers and the Penguins and, and the Devils were going to be going at it. This was a team with so much star power and so much of it homegrown star power. And behind the bench, you had Joel Quenville star power. And they went through the traditional arc of having to beat some really good teams to have the success they did. They had to get through uh, the last of the good Detroit teams of this era. They had to get through a Vancouver Canucks team that could just never get over the hump. So they were right there, and they had the perfect example of in, in 09 of losing in, in the uh, conference final, but it ha being one of those, you know, well, you have to learn how to lose before you can learn how to win kind of thing. They had the perfect yeah. story arc to the top with a litany of players. You probably make an argument for four or five whose numbers are going to hang in the rafters. And the dark ages before this run were so bad. The Chicago Blackhawks weren't on TV in Chicago. Like, that's something we yeah. need to realize, too. An original six team with a tremendous history that marketing-wise, influence-wise, relevancy-wise had just evaporated. Also during a window where they had the likes of Chris Chelios and Tony Amani, they just didn't matter. And now Chicago is a rampant hockey city once again with heroes that we're still watching now. So I think for you look at outcome, three cups, two conference finals appearances. Even the last three of the last four years, they've missed the playoffs, but they haven't been that bad in all of those either. They've had some, some flirtations with relevancy. And they resurrected the, the game and the brand in the city of Chicago where there are people who are as big a Blackhawks fan as they are Cubs and Bears. That's a monumental feat in a really short period of time. And that, that just pulls a lot of sway uh, to me, where you see people in Blackhawks hats and jerseys and T-shirts nowhere near Chicago, and you just didn't see that prior to this run. You know, it's interesting that you bring up some of the, the, the really the goodwill and the work that was done by the Chicago Blackhawks, but I'm just going to tell you right now, 2013, it uh, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to do it. I, I can't do it. I'm not going to say <laughs> the Chicago Blackhawks are the team of the century because then there'll be a couple of people that will be chirping me incessantly, and I'm just not going to go down that road. So the Pittsburgh Penguins 
have won three Stanley Cups, 2009, 2016, 2017, went back-to-back. That has to count for something. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Marc-Andre Fleury, when you look at all the impactful players that have been around since 2005 for this organization and how consistently the Penguins have made the playoffs and just, just... there hasn't been much of a drop-off, and I think that there's part of us that, that views the sport now with, with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. We kind of forget just how dominant and how good Sidney Crosby in his prime was. I look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they are a team that in terms of the entire century, the, the bulk of the 21 years that we're talking about, They are a team that's very much uh, exemplary in in terms of being consistent and consistently good. That's a very hard argument to go against because a lot of the points I just made for Chicago, while a little bit more entrenched in Chicago, were similar in Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. too. The Penguins were almost relocated before the Crosby draft. So this is also a team, despite the years of Yager, Lemieux, and Stevens, they, they had plenty of recent success. It was still a, a, an organization that needed a shot in the arm and needed their Crosby draft to actually provide fruit, and it did. Again, there's there's three cups, there's a finals defeat to Detroit in 08, uh, and there's one other conference final, uh, well, two other if you go back to, to 01. So there's, there's a lot of success in there. Also, again, stepping back, there's a little bit more... Uh, a few more mediocre seasons than you maybe would have thought off the, off the top. But I think what is most impressive mm-hmm. to me, and Chicago has a little bit of this too, but more so I think Pittsburgh, the success that they had with a lot of turnover. I mean, a lot of turnover mm-hmm. in 20 years up and down. You basically yeah. had Crosby, Malkin, Latang. Those were kind of your constants. And then the supporting cast changed all the time. Now, we're talking about a 20-year window. There should be turnover. But to have this kind of success with a lot of supporting cast members riding shotgun differently, whether we're talking about Hosa, whether we're talking about early on, uh, you know, Garen and, and uh, Recky, you know, popping in there. You know, they, they found ways to be loose enough to be able to bring in big, impactful players all the time and have separate cup runs, separate cup runs with Michelle Terrian behind the bench, and then with Bilesma behind the bench, a midseason change, and then Mike Johnson behind the bench, and then a uh, uh, Mike Sullivan behind the bench, a midseason change. And that's not even mentioning the the move uh, in the front office when Rutherford uh, took over for Shiro. So there's been so much change and so much turnover that ordinarily would mean a little bit of a reboot, and it never meant more than a year, two years for Sidney Crosby dealing with his own injury issues for several seasons to galvanize a new group and a new cast with two or three lieutenants that were usual shotgun riders in Malkin and Latang and create a new run for a one, two, three playoff round win, if not a cup. So you got to give a lot of weight to that, that they did it for so long, but so differently several different times that, that, that has to carry a lot of weight. 
Now we're up against it. So to wrap a bow on this, we're looking also at the Tampa Bay Lightning, a 2004 Stanley Cup championship, and then obviously the last two, a 2020-2021, a 62-win season uh, thrown in the mix there too. If if you've got to answer the question between these six organizations, who is the team of the century? It's Pittsburgh. And it's Pittsburgh because, yeah. it, it, for me, it's Pittsburgh, then Chicago, and then Tampa. And it's only because I, I'm i not going to know between a bubble and a shortened season this year. I'm really still – back-to-back cups for Tampa Bay, very, very impressive. I'm really not going to know how to judge them until we've gotten a few years of, of separation from them. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I'm going Pittsburgh, and then everything else can be sorted out uh, as we get a little bit deeper into the century. When we come back, we're going to wrap up hour number one and then get ready for Justin Emerson in hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas.